The most noble fate a man can endure is to place his own mortal body between his loved home and the war's desolation. Robert Heinlein, Starship Troopers. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to FightCast. Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, humans were fighting other humans because we're human beings and that's what we do, right? Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah. just checks out so far. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Hi, hi, how's everybody doing out in FightCast land? We are doing pretty awesome. As you might have uh, guessed, I'm here with the uh, amazing and formidable Kristen Wade. And formidable, that's a new one. You are absolutely formidable. <laughs> it was the most syllables I could think of to call you at the moment, so... All right. There well, you go. Uh, yes. Indefatigable. There we go. That's one more. I'm not. Yeah, that's too much for me, man. <laughs> so, um, uh, as you might have been able to guess, uh, we are going to be talking about some sci-fi weapons. Yes. Um. Hence the Star Wars quote. Yeah. At the beginning, I think we're each covering at least one Star Wars weapon. I yeah. It's kind yeah. of hard to avoid it. God, it's the elephant. It's the gigantic. You know. Um. Cash colored elephant in the room. <laughs> so much money. Um, think about how much money you and I have given to Star Wars over our lifetimes, like uh, including our parents, right? So because like you got Star Wars toys as a kid, I got Star Wars toys as a kid. It was just it was a natural I, part look, of our upbringing. Right now, right? when I've got this college debt hanging over my head, <laughs> I do not want to think about how much money I've been giving to Star Wars uh, for my own well-being and sanity. Okay, so let's. Let's just all agree that we have put food on George Lucas's table personally onto gilded plates. You now you're just making it worse. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's true. So yeah. So uh, forgive us, viewers, if uh, viewers, jeez, because you're staring intently at your screens this whole time, right? Listeners. Uh, listeners uh, so <laughs> listeners, uh, uh, rest assured. Star Wars fans, you're going to be very represented here. Um, Star Trek fans, you're also going to be represented. Don't worry, we got something for you. Uh, because I believe you were going to start us off with phasers. Yes, so we each decided to pick a few sci-fi weapons. Mm-hmm. And uh, some that would be um, either influential, some that may be more realistic. Um, I know for me, I just kind of picked my three favorites. I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of what I ended up yeah. doing, too. And uh, yeah, the f- yeah. <laughs> first one that I wanted to start with is the phaser, yep. or blaster, or ray gun, or pew, heat pew, pew, gun, pew, pew, or pew, death pew, ray, pew, or... Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, all pew. these little, mostly handheld pew-pews. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I think the thing that I really like about the phaser is... Um, well, it, it kind of relates to... You almost have to relate it back to the gun. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, today's big handheld uh, pew pew machine. The symbol of American identity. Well, um, that and McDonald's. <laughs> um, so I think something that people say a lot about the gun, today's modern gun, is that it's a tool. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not just for killing people, it's a tool. But in reality, the gun is for killing something. Uh, you, that you, is its main, that is its only purpose. This in is fact. true. Uh, you know, politics aside, and yeah. I don't want to get into that whole fight right now, but... That's true, but I mean, it's an important distinction to make, is that you could you could potentially make the tool argument for, say, a rifle, 
or a shotgun or something that brings food on your table. But a sure, handgun but, but even, that you're talking about. Even, like, even if you are bringing food to the table, you are still using it to kill a thing. This is true. You know, this is true. But uh, the phaser takes that idea and it turns it into truly a tool. Uh, it is a non-lethal weapon. You can set your phasers to stun. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, so it truly is like a peacemaker because it can de-escalate. Yeah. You can use it to um, heat up a bunch of rocks so you can be warm at night, I think was done in an episode. <laughs> you can uh, use it to... It made a sauna. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, you yeah. can use it for a sauna. Yeah. You can use it to uh, cut through something. You know, it truly yep. is a multi-purpose tool, and somebody who is a 100% crunchy granola Star Trek hippie uh, could be comfortable with owning a gun because it has true other purposes besides just killing. Um, this is a good point, yeah. You can never touch the kill setting at all if you ever if you want to, Yeah, you know, if you're truly a pacifist. Um, Plus, yeah. Han Solo and Boba Fett look way cooler than any other character looks with a lightsaber so i'm just gonna have to side with the blaster slash phaser slash yeah. ray guns I, I, well <laughs> yeah kids because i mean you, you you think of you think of artwork dating back to the 40s and 50s sci-fi uh in in the magazines and you know analog and uh all those other publications and everything you know it's always some dude in a spacesuit with a ray gun that's that, that you could use that you know symbol as just representing sci-fi as a whole. Yeah. You know? And, and, and I personally think that it, some of that at least must come from, you you know, the identification of the handgun and, you know, Americans. You know, we have this thing. You know, maybe it's a holdover from the Old West fiction, you know? That could very well be. I can't really... But of course, I mean, I guess maybe we're thinking of two different phasers. I think you're 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 mostly thinking mostly thinking of Star Trek phaser. I'm kind of expanding that idea to include kind of like the idea of the ray gun. Well, no, you know, I, the, I the would adventurer has. I would include that as well, just because I think that yeah. uh, you know the phaser obviously came from the ray gun. Yeah. Uh, if you're talking about one, you are talking about the other. Yeah. Even though most ray guns don't seem to be as yeah. ubiquitous a tool, yeah, a lot of them are point and disintegrate whatever oh, you're yeah, pointing true. at. Yeah, very boring in that regard. But you know, it kind of took Star Trek to sophisticate the concept beyond just sure. a killing tool. Like sure, you and said. and I don't want to. I mean, nerds out there, uh, I don't want to go out <coughs> and say that Star Trek is the one who turned it into a non-lethal tool. Um, I honestly don't know where that point was made. What? I just know that that's where it was popularized. Well, listen, well, I mean, when you when you say phaser, I mean, I'm thinking Star Trek personally. You know? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, uh, well, I I think that yeah. You, you, I I'm only saying that for the pedantic person out there who's going to be like, well, actually, 1930s issue of Ray Gun Weekly oh, yeah. had a what? That's I, how much do you want to bet there was a publication called Ray Gun Weekly? I. Oh, okay. I won't put money on <laughs> it's it. It's just sounding, <laughs> uh, oddly accurate here. Um, so my first, the, the I guess we could just alternate here. I yeah, mean, the, go the, ahead. The, the one on the, the first one on my list uh, was powered armor. Uh, mm. First popularized, I thought at first was first popularized by uh, Starship Troopers, and I guess in terms of popularized, you could say that. But he didn't invent it. Um, it it per first appeared in E.E. E. Smith's Lensman series, which I will get into later. Uh, but the powered armor in Starship Troopers was called the Marauder. It was uh, described as an 
enormous steel gorilla. Because what they were thinking is that troops who are bouncing about on rockets, they're invading planets lightning quick, they're literally being shot out of spaceships in capsules, and landing and hitting the ground and, you know... Taking it to the enemy immediately. This is this is the thing that start uh, that uh, Heinlein envisioned the the future would be like in terms of infantry combat, and uh, he was very much an infantry guy. I think he got his bones in the army uh-huh. uh, back in the day. Uh, I, I could do an entire episode about his um, particularly interesting ideas. I, I should say that, but sure. we'll leave it at that for now. But as he talked about the the Marauder suit. Uh, the idea was that it could be something that completely protected the soldier and served as a platform for offensive weapons, too. So you're protected from the enemy fire, but you also have uh, rocket launchers and, like, guns and shit like that, you know, and, and also rockets. Okay. You know? Um, so what most people may identify with today as far as um, big in pop culture would be the Iron Man suit? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a direct descendant, mm. for sure. Uh not only that, I think Iron Man uh, were the, uh, I, I don't know if it was the first issue or the one where his Mark III suit, the, the, the first appearance of the red and gold armor, mm. uh, that was either directly after or very close to when Starship Troopers came out, when it was released. Oh, okay. Um, so either Heinlein was, you know, into comic books, uh, or uh, it was just kind of a coincidental idea, but... Uh, what I love about the Iron Man suit is that it's not, it takes the idea of a military application, and I'm not going to just do military things with it. I'm going to use this suit for search and rescue purposes, and I'm going to, you know, be a hero with this thing, and I'm going to take uh, something like you said with the phaser. You know, I'm going to evolve the concept a little bit beyond just a killing tool and a military application. And I'm going to create something that can actually benefit people. I have to say, I think out of all of the silly weapons that we have picked today, this one I feel is the most likely. Um, like, uh, to, to, to be real? Yes. Oh, okay. Because I feel like we are not terribly far off from... Uh, if you look at some of the prosthetics that people have and yep. some of the braces and people have... Yep. Um, there are some bionic prosthetics that could, uh, if they were created by a mad scientist, have <laughs> more strength than an ordinary human arm. And uh, I think it wouldn't be terribly hard to take some of those uh, leg braces that paraplegic people can wear so that they can be helped standing up. Uh, there was yep. some article I was reading about someone who had like a new set of legs and he oh, was yeah. paraplegic. Um, and it was basically braces that went around his actual legs and helped him walk. I've seen this. I've seen this. And I think I've seen a, a Japanese prototype as well that was uh, used by the elderly to assist them in just like... Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that plus DARPA money yeah. equals some sort of suit like Iron Man that at least maybe um fully bulletproof with your helmet you know very much like iron man uh wired into a headquarters and they're telling you what to do and you've got infrared and communication like, and battlefield awareness and... yeah um I, I just i feel like that is something that could actually be a thing in the next 10 20 years didn't president obama say at one point that we are building iron man and then he kind of said i'm uh, just joking 
but not really. Like, it was one of those moments where I'm like, you could be telling us the truth right now, <laughs> and, no and would nobody you. would believe you. And so you just thought, wouldn't it be crazy if I told them about the Iron Man thing? <laughs> in, the, in the press briefing? But I swear, that was a thing. He actually did say that. But yeah, I, 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 I agree. But um, think of the adaptations. Again, think of, think of what it could do for us beyond just the military role. Of course, the military role is where we're first going to see it. Uh, there's, you know, there's a theme with all these things. Starting out as military hardware and then growing to something beyond just that. Oh yeah. Uh, so anyway, so powered armor. I can't say more. I can't say enough about it. Uh, I need to read Starship Troopers again. I feel like. I mean, that just why not? Yeah, I just yeah. need to read books again. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I read books. No, I read books. I read plenty of books. Not it's... when I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> they are on tape. Anyway, um, so what was no, uh, what was yours? On, All right, so uh, uh, the next one that I wanted to talk about is maybe one of the more fun ones Ooh. to talk about: uh, time travel. Time travel as a weapon. Weaponized time Weaponized travel. Weaponized time travel. Um, I think the time that. War. Okay, what is the first thing that everyone wants to do when they get time travel? One, two, three. Kill, Kill Hitler. Hitler. Yep. Obviously. <laughs> Uh, that is weaponizing time travel. This is true. And I think that were time travel really a thing, were it ever actually possible, the first thing that those who had it would do would be to try and control their environment. Make themselves more powerful. Make someone else more powerful. Get rid of someone that they don't want. Yep. Um, and I think that it is very easy to go back and either kill someone when they are vulnerable, yep. you know, kill baby Hitler, which happens a lot, <laughs> or prevent someone from being born. Yep. You hear a lot of that as well. Terminate is that, Sarah Connor to prevent John Connor from yeah, being born. Is that, yeah. you know, it's not directly killing someone, but it is a way of kind of removing somebody. That's a good point. It, back it is to the a way future. To, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a way to weaponize manipulating time. Oh. And so um, I like looking at movies like, well, I don't like watching this movie, but I like thinking about movies like Looper. Yeah. Where uh, you send someone back to be executed and it's just like this simple, like, you have um, weaponized time travel. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, making that a distinction between people who travel back in time and can't necessarily control where they go and what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of time travel movies like um, uh, the first Back to the Future when uh, he doesn't really want to go back to that time and yeah. doesn't want to be there and he has to fix it so he can leave. Like, that's <laughs> not exactly the same as movies um, where they go back in order to you know, purposeful time travel versus accidental time yeah. travel. But, um... Like in Timeline, I think, uh, at least in the novel, if mm. I remember correctly, uh, one character at the end, uh, spoilers, uh, <laughs> Michael Crichton novel, oh. Anyway, uh, but, uh, so, so, so in Timeline, uh, a, a character is sent back to the same place that they were already investigating, but just at a different time, which is at the height of the plague. So, and, and there's this culture amongst the people who engage, are part of this corporation that engage in time travel that, oh no, if you, if you screw up, they might, they might put a chip in that, you know, sends you to Hiroshima or something, or sends you to, oh, yeah. you know, prehistoric, you know, the Americas just before the comet hit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that, that's such a crazy concept. You know, uh, um, either, 
I'm going to send you to a place where I'm going to disappear you. Right. To where nobody will ever see you again, or I'm going to destroy you so totally that you will never have existed in the first place. I think it also brings an interesting ethics conversation into the mix where yeah. uh, if you are going to weaponize it to go back and stop Hitler from being born, even if it's something as uh, peaceful as ensuring that Hitler's two parents never meet. Um, is that ethically okay because you are removing a life that should have been there from the timeline? Technically, is that the you're same doing... as killing them, or is it? And yeah. then huh. it's it's my least favorite. Uh, it's my least favorite argument or uh, fallacy ever. But slippery slope. Yeah. You know, once yeah. you say it's okay to go and peacefully get rid of Hitler, are you saying that it's okay to peacefully get rid of your political opponent because it's not killing them? Uh, you know, were time travel a real thing, the ethics issues that it would present, I think, would be terrifying and fascinating because of how terrifying they are. Okay, thank you. Um, I wasn't <laughs> planning on sleeping tonight anyway. Um, ooh, yeah. Tossing and turning this evening. <laughs> yeah, you, you've, got my, you've got an ethics discussion in my combat podcast. I could do an entire show about that. God damn it. <laughs> um, just one show about ethics. 30 minutes. That's just all one show. This is the ethics show. There, we've covered our bases. We never have to talk about <laughs> ethics ever again. No, that is that is just... that That is that is ridiculous. Mm. Uh, well, not ridiculous. Um, but that, but yeah. it's, it, it's, it's crazy to almost think about that eventually, uh, depending on if time travel ever turns out to be possible, some sources say no, but uh, one can hope... Uh, this is a question that we may have to answer, you know? That, is it okay to completely erase somebody in a non-violent way, you know, in such a way that you eliminate a problem before you ever had one in the first place? Yeah. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> I have to move on to the next topic What's your next now. One? What's your next one? I have to move on to the next topic now. <laughs> um, uh, for those who didn't think I was going to get to it, psych, I got your back. Don't worry. Uh, Lightsabers. It's mm. lightsaber. <laughs> Everybody has done that. Everybody. Uh, <laughs> we are dorks. Nerd we are absolutely dorks. No, I mean, every... I, lightsabers, I, I... I feel like I wouldn't be the person I am today if lightsabers as a concept had not been introduced to me. Because... I mean, I there was a period. There was a period when I was growing up, and, I, and I'm being completely candid right now, listeners. This is this is me putting it out there. Oh I was completely obsessed with Star Wars for 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 a period of time. Like uh, all I would do is quote that movie, and all I would watch with, were were those movies over and over again. And like, um, I just I, I I lived in that world like a, almost a hundred percent, you know. But then again, I was like six years old sue me you know um but it, it, central to that concept though is that you know in the middle of this sci-fi story you have uh knights with swords again you know i mean that 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 image that image of the hero with the sword uh, it, it, it's cambellian i mean uh, again i could do an entire episode just about that image mm. you know um my sensei al kilgore once uh talked about how in every single culture uh that has swords as a part of their milieu. Mm. Um, every single culture, swords are always associated with valor, with courage, with um, a level of bravery that is above and beyond. Mm -hmm. 
because swords are hard to fight with. Like battle, if I was in a battlefield, the, the sword sword's the secondary weapon. You know, for a long time throughout history, your main weapon's that spear or a bow or something like that. The sword is what you pull out when shit has hit the fan, and you might be absolutely overrun and killed any second. You know, so for a hero to have a sword. I feel like it, it has an impact that a lot of people don't realize. And for me to see a story as compelling a sci-fi story as Star Wars with these awesome ships and, you know, the Death Star and X-Wings and TIE Fighters and the Millennium Falcon, that you have a hero with a sword at the center of it, you know? And, and I suppose that it was a... Sorry, you were about to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, what, what I was going to say was that um, it's kind of a continuation of... You see this at the beginning of uh, uh, the the sci-fi pulp era, where you have this amazing artwork, this this amazing oil painting esque artwork, and the, the name is just I, I cannot remember the name of that really famous sci-fi artist. We I was just reading an article about him the other day. I'll <laughs> include it in the show notes anyway. Uh, but you know the the cover of John Carter of Mars or uh, that kind of thing. You had the hero with the curved sword at the you know. In a sci-fi story, you know, swords are fantasy. Ray guns, phasers, those are sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know? And to have that kind of be subverted and saying, no, you know, you're going to have Han Solo and Luke Skywalker be different because Han Solo is the cool guy with the blaster. Uh, and... So something that, uh, to back it up a little bit, um, something that I think is interesting about uh, your statement there is that swords are always associated with honor and valor and at least courage you know and bravery that sort of thing. Say, you know yeah the hero do you think uh that the lightsaber tries to build on that by requiring the kyber crystals to be mined uh personally you have to make a sort of journey to find the kyber crystals and it becomes more than just a uh, well, I bought this sword at yeah. the space mall. <laughs> yeah, and the space mall. A little more of a nope. I actually had to put in this work. You know, anyone yeah. can pick up a lightsaber and uh, turn it on, but you know, I made this because yeah. I am a Jedi. I feel like uh, the lightsaber offers a little bit more in terms of requiring the user to be a step above whether they're good or evil they are a step above i I, absolutely absolutely and it's it it, it's as if you know this wasn't a part of samurai tradition but if every samurai had to forge his own sword that Mm. kind of thing you know you're taking the you're taking the concept of like the the mythic weapon and having to an act of creation has to happen by the hero right to, to, to to become their next self in that way, I don't know. I, I guess I'm sounding very Campbellian at this moment, but <laughs> yeah, you're 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 combining a process of becoming the, the the person who you were destined to be with creating your weapon that allows you to do this. You know, you're you're um, yeah, and, and 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 in that way, it becomes yours. It becomes your Excalibur or your Joyu mm-hmm. or your um, insert famous sword here. You know, uh, it. It's what makes a warrior and not a soldier. A soldier uses an issued weapon. Hmm. A, a warrior uses something that is theirs. Now, here's the important question when it comes to a lightsaber. Um, what color? Oh! Oh, you're putting me on the spot! <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta go, I gotta go two, uh, two green ones. Two green ones. Or, two or, green ones. Or red. Or red. Red is nice. 
Red is evil. Red is no. Red is not necessarily evil. Red is just a color. Red, why? Why do Sith? Why? Why do Sith always have red lightsabers? I wonder. Because they're evil. Um, I. Because I. I read somewhere that their kyber crystals were impure, or they were artificially created. I'm pushing glasses on my nose right now. But um. <laughs> but but seriously, seriously, it's like okay, if 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 oh if I did a re-edit of Star Wars and I changed all of the heroes' lightsaber colors to red and you know did that and everything, would it have a huge impact? Would you still is is that much a, 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 I guess does Star Wars rely on that much of as a signifier that oh this character is evil, or you know can we think that? I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> you know, is I, I feel like you can have a good character with a red lightsaber. Everything you're saying right now, red lightsabers are evil. <laughs> okay, if you admit, <laughs> if, if you if you insist, I should say. Uh, okay, but um, ah, viewers, listeners, damn it, I did it again. Listeners, uh, comment on this. Uh, tell us what color your lightsaber you are and why. The um, correct answer, by the way, is purple. Purple is the lightsaber that everybody wants. I'm not worthy of a purple lightsaber. There's only one person who is worthy of a purple lightsaber. Me, because I had like three when I was in high school. <laughs> I mean, younger. Did you carve BMF into their hilt? I, I did not. I, I don't... I, somebody in the film industry, get back to us. We want to know if that's an urban legend or if that's actually true. Did Samuel L. Jackson have a lightsaber hilt that had BMF etched into the handle? I need to know this. Uh, I need to know this to sleep at night. Google can tell us faster, and Google says yes. But Google, I, how do I know? Oh, oh, it's, okay, it's from sci-fi.com. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's from an interview, apparently, where he talks about it. So okay, um, well, I trust if Samuel L. Jackson had that. Um, faster. I need that lightsaber. I need it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So on that Star Wars vein, yep. My last weapon is going to be the Death Star, mm -hmm. um, or more broadly, the Planet Killer. Um, oh yeah. I think that. The idea of something that can kill the entire planet. A doomsday device. A, a doomsday device, yes. Yes. Um, I love that idea. I love... Well, no, not <laughs> Let's that quote Kirsten Wade not, not for the rest of her days. <laughs> oh, the Death Star. The, the, the Death Star was a great idea. Man, yes, it was a great idea. That's not... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Go I'm on, I'm saying I, I love the idea in that I think it makes for an incredibly compelling story. Yes, um, yes. I also feel like it's one of those things that very easily could be real. Um, mm, because yeah. all of these, I would say, uh, these ideas that a uh, mad scientist is making a bomb that's going to kill the world. Uh, we've got Unicron and Galactus who both want to come here and eat the world. We have um, the Death Star, which can blow up a planet in a second and... Uh, there's other examples that I can think of. Uh, Titan AE, the dreads yeah. have that. Even friggin' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, they get rid the of the Earth constructor to fleet. build a highway. Um, oh, I think that all of these sort of stem from the idea of the atomic bomb. And yeah. um, I know something that I have said a lot that you've disagreed with, and we don't need to get into that fight right now. Okay. But uh, I do believe that if. If the Empire won, 
in Star Wars. And the ones who wrote the history books were historians from the Empire, viewing the Empire in a more positive light, then we would look at the destruction of Alderaan as, as America today looks at the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Because we've already, as a world, as a species, said it is okay to destroy large swaths of civilian populations in order to end a war. Whether you're destroying that area because they may have bombs or factories or rebels or you know military stuff or because, well, you kill these million people right here and you save those million people because the war doesn't continue. Whatever your reasons behind it, we have already said it is okay to do this thing. So at what point does the scale not become okay? Um, you know, planet killers might be a thing that if humans ever become a uh, galactic society, if we yeah. ever become a multi-planetary society, planet killers may be a weapon fought with in large scale wars, you know? And is that okay or not? Uh, the answer is obviously not. The answer is it, obviously not okay. Yeah. But that, it, it's... The same reason that I like the uh, time travel. It just opens up interesting ethical discussions that uh, us as a species have already had. You want us to squirm, don't you? I think <laughs> people are squirming right now. Ah, I, I see what you're saying completely. I completely see what you're saying. I would only add the caveat that if the Empire had won the war, the entire point was hegemonic domination in the first place, whereas the goal, ostensibly, with the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, were to halt a hegemonic destructive empire. Oh, sure. But once regime guy A has said something is okay, how are you going to be 100% sure that regime guy B coming after him isn't going to be evil. You know, you've yeah. already said it's okay for Galactic Emperor to have the nukes. Now, are you sure that the next Emperor is going to use them on only the bad guys? Or are they able to paint the Rebellion as bad guys? Now, here's the thing. Here's the other distinction that I would, in, uh, that I would interject in with that, is that there is a difference between rendering an area of a planet uninhabitable or destroying a large segment of a population on a planet and destroying not only the entire population of a planet but the planet itself i think that there is a further crime mm. beyond just the eradication if you, if you were unleashed a plague that eradicated the entire population of a planet that would be one level of a crime but then you destroy the planet itself into rubble into space dust that is another level of war crime so, tacked onto it. Because you've you, you not only have you completely destroyed that life, but you have an uh, in, in indiscriminate murder, mind you. I think mm -hmm. that, 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 that the, the Death Star is a war crime. But now we can argue whether Hiroshima and Nagasaki were. Now, but here's the thing. <laughs> what, what, what I was saying is that if you just... So basically, it's yes. not okay to destroy the entire planet, but it's okay to destroy a section of it. I, it, it, it depends on your goal. If you're the <laughs> Empire, your goal is conquest. Your goal is Empire. You're the Empire. You're the the entire idea from minute one is that I'm going to oppress the galaxy under the under the heel of my star boot. Now, 
if your entire idea is this world war has been going on for a really long time and it's taken untold numbers of lives, we're already at the point where we're leveling cities, but now we can just do it with one weapon. Well, but I, what I am saying is that it's very difficult to really discern motives when you are there and you are in the moment. You know, I am sure that there are people who lived in the Empire who honestly thought that the Empire had made their lives better. Doesn't mean that it made lives better for everybody, but, you know, it is very easy for us to take a step back and say, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Because that is their purpose in the movie, is to be the bad guys. But when you introduce this into a more hypothetical real-world scenario where the people in charge might not be the bad guys to everybody, um, or if maybe they were the good guys under Emperor number one, but under Emperor number two, suddenly they decided to be the bad guys. But Emperor number one already said it was okay because he used planet-exploding weapon on this really evil planet full of really evil guys, I promise. And, you know, it's... Yeah. It's hard to ensure that the weapon will only be used by the good guys. And so I think, uh, again, the idea of a planet-killing weapon is interesting in that you, you're already saying it's okay to kill civilians. Now, how many civilians is too many? You're a general in the Rebellion, and you have the chance to hack into the Death Star and change its trajectory and targeting and fire it remotely uh-huh. do you hit coruscant with it do you do you take out the galactic capital no because coruscant is more populated uh-huh. i'm a utilitarian in that way i'm also not living in the star wars universe <laughs> is... so i don't know if i could really get into like the whole objection galacto- you're making me political... think too much <laughs> oh okay uh Let's just put that down on the list of things that we could make an entire freaking episode of this podcast <laughs> about. Uh, listeners, but please uh, give us your input on that. Uh, uh, shoot us a, shoot us a tweet at Fightcast Radio on Twitter. and uh, Tell us we're wrong. Tell, t- <laughs> tell us we're wrong and why, though. Show your work. Show your work. Uh, okay, so... Nice, nice, uh, nice bullet point. You know, to end your, to end your list on. You know, just with a, with a bullet, literally. Laser to blast a, to point. a planet. Yeah. Damn, <laughs> Death Star. Uh, my last one um, has got to be uh, maybe it's because I have a tattoo of it. <laughs> it's my only <laughs> tattoo. But a uh, mermaid on your ass—that's really your last weapon. Ooh, ooh. Uh, we swore to never speak of that. <laughs> no, it's it, the Green Lantern ring. The Green Lantern ring is uh, the last one on my list. I thought about a couple other uh, weapons, uh, you know, some iconic ones and everything, but I feel like. I can get the most mileage out of this one, uh, not just because it has kind of an old school sci-fi origin, but it kind of, it, it helped kind of revitalize a golden age character by thinking about it in new concepts, you know? Um, so the Green Lantern Ring uh, is, for those who for some reason live under a rock, it's a weapon that <laughs> comes in the form of a ring that allows you to generate constructs and energy um, out of your sheer willpower. Uh, your willpower is what uh, you channel to um, create anything that you can, uh, I guess, coherently construct in your mind. And they, hence, the, hence the term constructs. Now, uh, this idea was first explored 
in the Lensman series by e comes from like this advanced intelligent alien race uh, that uh, is kind of this flexible weapon that is also a tool. Going back to that idea of something that is uh, the evolution of the weapon, I suppose, into something that is more useful. I could blast a ship apart with a Green Lantern ring, I guess, but it's it's more interesting to the comic reader, and it's also more constructive if I just form a giant baseball glove and catch it, you know? Like, <laughs> um, it, it opens the door story-wise into so many cool possibilities. Like, uh, what do your characters make with their Green Lantern ring that sets them apart from everybody else? In, in all the comics, it was... Um, it was dependent on the person. There were four Green Lanterns from Earth. Jordan, uh, Stuart, Rainer, and Gardner. I am a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> that is not counting Alan Scott, who is the, Green, uh, who is the Golden Age Green Lantern, who I will get to in a second. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, so you have Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan's the guy who creates big boxing gloves. Uh, he'll hit you with a big baseball bat. He's he'll... more the cartoony one. He, he, he's I the feel. cartoony one, but he's, he's the cocky... He's the cocky, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was chosen for this reason. That must mean I'm a total badass, kind of like, um, he's the ace pilot, the Han Solo, the, uh, he's, but he's also the audience analog. You know, he's, I guess, the layman hmm. of the Green Lanterns from Earth, you know, because uh, his ideas to do with his ring are kind of obvious, you know. Of course, if I, if somebody's falling from a building, what's the, what's the... I'll form a giant baseball mitt and catch them, you know, kind mm. of thing. Of course, if I need to uh, propel this truck upwards or something, I'm just going to put up a giant spring, you know, because those things are simple and easy and, f you know, f easy enough to figure out. And uh, I'm not calling Hal Jordan unimaginative per se. It's just that, you know, his qualities lie elsewhere than his sheer creativity. Now, you get uh, John Stewart. John Stewart is an architect. He creates every single nut and bolt and strut and, like, he can conceptualize in his mind whole structures and machines. And, like, he was always known for doing that, you know. Uh, a couple of Green Lanterns actually, you know, called him out on it. He's like, you're, you're too complicated. He's like, I'd rather think about it, you know. I'd rather have the idea fully fleshed out or not at all. Hmm. And so that speaks to the kind of person John Stewart is. Kyle Rayner is an artist. You know, he is able to sketch fantastical, you know, he, he'll do dragons and, like, anime characters and shit like that, you know? Um, he, he, he even had a shout-out to Gurren Lagann in one, um, uh, in one issue. So he is the guy who can really take fantastical concepts and, you know, very left-brain concepts and play with those. Guy Gardner just kind of blasts things, you know? <laughs> uh, I mean, he'll make a motorcycle and he'll make, you know, baseball bats and shit like that and he'll uh, uh, he'll be even more cocksure than Hal Jordan and which, you know... I so guess it's a very mixed... personality-based weapon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In the same way that Jedi has to make their own lightsaber, uh, no two users of a Green Lantern ring do it the same way. Mm. Do you feel that, um, how do you feel about the other colors, the other lanterns, the oh, other yeah? rings, um, and the fact that emotion has such a huge part to play? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it speaks <laughs> to the red lanterns a lot that very few of them can do constructs, you know? They mostly just spew that hot, flaming, acid breath, puke, blood stuff. <laughs> um, you know, they, they mostly do that because, uh, 
rage is just such a simple brute concept that it just doesn't require a whole lot of sophistication and uh, but at the same time I'm told that several Red Lantern stories lately have been kind of cool uh, you have the Sinestro Corps who I suppose it this is ill-defined to me because I don't know if the Sinestro Corps rings are powered by their own fear or the fear they make in other people or like a combination of the two things because I know that a huge deal with Sinestro Corps, you know, uh, lanterns or whatever, yellow lanterns, whatever you might call them, um, is that, you know, they are honest about their own fear and everything like that, except that uh, Green Lanterns are supposed to be the people who can overcome fear, I guess. Uh, maybe uh, Sinestros or Sinestro Lanterns are, you know, simply people who have succumbed to their own fear and, you know, can only make themselves, you know, feel okay by instilling fear in other people. So maybe that's the concept they were trying to go with that. Um, Star Sapphires, I find it interesting that uh, they can use their rings to teleport to the site of heartbreak, you know? Mm. As if, you know, that's not always... A, that's not always a thing that can be solved by superheroes, but again, when Jeff Johns is writing it, I guess, yeah. But Look, I, we gotta figure out how to work in a bunch of chicks wearing very few clothes, and we're not gonna do it without the Star Sapphires. I've seen very tastefully dressed Star Sapphires! We are tasteful. Tastefully some... I... Okay, so moving on. Uh, Blue Lanterns. <laughs> uh, I... I find it interesting that they are only effective, uh, really, truly effective, uh, when they're in the presence of a Green Lantern, because hope without will is just kind of, you know, wishful woo thinking, and I can get behind that <laughs> sentiment. Anybody who knows me knows that. But, uh, I, I like the idea that they can boost a Green Lantern's power, you know, that hope and will are very symbiotic things. If you, you know, if, if you feel hope, you can suddenly gain the will to do something out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, if you have the will to do it, um, I feel like hope can come a little bit more naturally to somebody, you know, if they have the will to, you know, believe themselves or whatever, you know. Uh, but so I, I find that, I find that so awesome. And then, uh, of course, you have Larfleys, who just is basically, <laughs> he's basically, you know, um, you know, you know how Denzel Washington's character in Training Day said that every person you kill on duty, you know, becomes your slave in the afterlife? The, I, I guess I guess Jeff Johns saw that and decided to just run with that concept, you know, to, and that everything you covet um, and that, you know, every person you murder to take the ring from becomes like your construct and kind of like captive to you in that way is just it's disturbing. So how do you create the worst thing? <laughs> the worst... Mm, mm. I, I don't think... And then the Indigo tribe. They're a bunch of stoners. Well, I mean, that... Their, their stands are big pipes, let's be honest. <laughs> their their ring is compassion, you know? Uh, I'm and, pretty uh, sure this is projection. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but um, in, their, in, in their introduction, uh, I read their introductory comic, you know, the first time the Indigo tribe was uh, introduced. And it involved an indigo tribe person finding a wounded Green Lantern and basically uh, euthanizing them because they thought that that was the more compassionate thing than to let this thing suffer of its wounds and which may or may not have been treatable. So it's like, ooh, ooh, it was kind of sinister at first. And I, you know, by the time Blackest Night rolled around, I was like, I don't know if I entirely trust the indigo <laughs> tribe. Uh, oh, God. I just, 
I've been talking for the past ten minutes about Green Lantern, and I'm the I'm a nerd. Very much so. So I have a problem. That's no. Uh, no. I find I I just find these such awesome you know sci-fi based stories, and the idea that it's talking about emotions in that way, um, and that you know. Some people don't like that with the Green Lantern comics. I love it. I think it. Uh, I think it explores different ways to use that concept, that multi-purpose weapon, mm-hmm. that uh, all that multi, the ultimate multi-tool. Well, and it does seem like there are countless stories. Uh, I mean, Green Lantern's been running for a long time. Uh, it seems like there are just a bunch of stories of so and so gets this ring or has this ring that they particularly don't want. Um, oh no. Uh, yeah, um, you know, someone uses the red ring and manages to use their anger positively. You know, this emotion that's normally negative. Guy people Gardner have used, yeah, Black as Night. <laughs> people have used uh, the yellow rings and fear and done good things. Yeah, with the, and I, I think that it has this sort of healthy attitude towards more of those negative emotions that everybody. Everybody will face at some point. Everybody will feel one of these emotions at some point. And how do you use them to do good? How do you redirect your anger, your fear, your yeah. sadness, your um, to do something good? How do you direct compassion to do something yeah. that could be seen as bad? And how, how, can it still be a compassionate act? Um, how how do you how, how do you you know how do you use love for something? How how, how can you practice yeah certain things out of love in a way that you know. Like, and it it uh, encourages people to use their creativity and use their own individuality as a weapon, yeah, um, or a weapon or a shield or to protect people or yeah. to save people. And I think that that's why it's such a compelling, uh, such a compelling series. Yeah. definitely, um, absolutely, and absolutely. Weapon. And uh, ooh, could go on about these. I could, we could go on about all of these. I, I think, we but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're uh, ex- expect more sci-fi based topics in the future. I think because there's a real wealth of information oh, available yeah. there. You know? Absolutely. Uh, anyway, uh, any last thoughts? Any any last minute uh, really cool like almost mentions, honorable mentions, things that you almost included in your top three that um, you could talk about super briefly? Uh, well, I know that we talked about earlier um, spaceships and yeah. the idea of um, basically. Uh, like the X-Wings, like the TIE Fighters. Yeah, like I almost the, did the X-Wings. Uh, that's what you did. Uh, you know, the things that are very much like the aircraft that we have today, fighter pilots, that very romantic notion of the World War II Spitfires oh, yeah. uh, going across the sky and getting into these fantastical dogfights. Yeah. Um, that sort of It's a very knight spaceship. and his steed kind of thing, you know, because you had the you had the brave knights of the air and yeah. the Spitfires taking on the Germans in the Battle of Britain, um, which was a total... Uh, you know, I know we talked up. about. Yeah. I know we also talked about the Captain America shield. Yep, yep. And uh, how something that is mainly a symbol of defense can be used as a weapon. It doesn't obey the phys- laws of physics at all. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Spider Man. Um, it's it's so hard not to just pull out every single weapon in comics ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I th- there are other. Mm-hmm. There are other types of sci-fi that use energy-based sword weapons, you know. Well, like, and I, think, I was I'm... also thinking about the uh, Batleths. Yeah, uh, yeah, You know, how is a, uh, basically a metal weapon, how is that useful in a society, in a world where people fight in space? Yeah. Oh, my God, you know, because I guess blades, uh, blades or, you know, melee weapons, I mean, is it something about 
I mean, yeah, both human and Klingon, I suppose. You know, but is it something about us that we're always going to go back to that in a certain way? You know, I feel like um, how many, how many, how many sci-fi series do you have where people are practicing martial arts of some kind, a system of martial arts of yeah. some kind? Like you're expecting so to get into hand-to-hand confrontations when we're in the era of blowing up each other's spaceships, right? So there's a lot that we definitely could have chosen. Yeah, uh, yeah. the world is a little bit too the broad. Knife. Next time, next time. <laughs> might, do, might do a Dune episode, Dune special. I can't mm. even. I can't even with spice that. Spice must flow. <laughs> Kirsten, the spice must flow. Um, anything you want to plug? Uh, anything coming up here? Uh, uh, yes, if you happen to be in the Seattle area, we are doing a burlesque show coming up. It yes. is called uh, Boobies, Booties, and Mythological Booties, Boobies, and Beasts. It's yes. a mythological creatures burlesque show. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. We are also in Wings of the Moon yes, for Battle of, of the Bards. Yes, Battle of the Bards at Ghost Light Theatrical. You can uh, check them out. Uh, Google search Ghost Light Theatricals. Um, uh, we are going to be part of uh, a, an evening of presenting uh, 20 minutes from three different plays, all based on some kind of myth. Uh it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. I don't wanna I don't wanna reveal too much about that up front, but you can uh, vote with your dollars uh, as to which one you want to see produced in Ghostlight Theatricals next season. So uh, and yeah. we can get we can get links to those in the show notes oh, if absolutely. anyone is interested. In absolutely. The Seattle area. Yes. Uh, and and um, please, uh, those of you back in the Minnesota area, uh, please continue checking out True Stone Coffee. Uh, we recently had to end our official partnership with True Stone Coffee, which is regrettable. <gasps> no! I am so sorry. It's just that we're in Seattle now, and, like, they can't afford to, you know, be nice gonna, to us like that. I'm still going to buy coffee from Of course, them. absolutely. And, 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 and like, I that's still happening. absolutely appreciated every single uh, thing True Stone Coffee has sent us. And uh, please check them out. They are uh, an amazing local uh, roastery. Uh, fresh roasts, cool beans, please check them out. So um, thank you very much uh, for listening, everybody. We're going to come to you more with regular content. I expect some uh, expert guests and uh, maybe a couple more movie reviews. So uh, catch us at Fightcast Radio on Twitter. And please check us out on Hot Chocolate Media's website. Please check out all of uh, uh, Hot Chocolate Media's other podcasts. Um, uh, just Lots do that, of fun stuff. Do that there. immediately. Do that immediately. <laughs> and uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Use the force. Go above and beyond and follow us at Fightcast Podcast and check out our blog and new episodes at fightcastpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.